The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, it, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name and happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is Billionaire Ted? Where is the Nacho Man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want. Whenever I want. Listen, we can, we can get somebody to call. And where, oh, where is Scheme Gene? Because I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll lookalike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for Billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Hmm. Let's get it going right here 
right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to feature episode number 23 of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And on today's show for this very special feature episode, we are welcoming in the incomparable WWE Hall of Famer, the bad guy, Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall, joining the two-man power trip of wrestling in an interview that I know we've been long awaiting to have on these airwaves, uh, but very happy to have Scott Hall coming on to talk about the appearance that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the outsiders, will have at the Wrestling Guy Store Sunday, November 3rd. You can go to the wrestlingguystore.com for all the details. You can get the ticket information, the signing times, and everything going on on Sunday, November 3rd at the Wrestling Guy Store in Huntington Park, California, where you can meet Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, the Outsiders, the NWO, Razor and Diesel. Obviously, two guys that really, they don't need any kind of introduction. But when you think about them, you think about so many amazing memories of their time in the wrestling world as active competitors, but also, I mean, my God, all the stuff they've done to help the business as a whole. Uh, We think about the NWO, how that revolutionized professional wrestling, how it changed the literal landscape of not only how the business was portrayed on TV, but also on the back end, how the business was portrayed uh, from a contract point of view and getting guaranteed deals and seeing greener pastures past what was going on with Vince McMahon and the WWF in 1996 and really being the uh, the nail in the coffin that would lead to the Monday Night War just absolutely taking off. And that first little glimpse you saw of Scott Hall as he came through the crowd and came into the ring on Monday Nitro in 1996, that was really the catalyst for what would be the, the absolute juggernaut era of professional wrestling, the Monday Night War, the WCW Nitro, the WWF Raw, and the amazing memories we all have of watching that. But I like to think a lot about the Razor Ramon days of Scott Hall, uh, being a big WWF guy. Absolutely love Razor, Razor Ramon, Intercontinental Champion, really the uh, you know that that workhorse in the uh, the mid card, being the guy underneath the guy uh, in the WWF. And just always having amazing matches, always being a great uh, character on WWF TV and being such a mainstay during those new generation years. You know, he was always tied into the big storylines, whether it was with Shawn Michaels and their ladder matches or his feud with Goldust, which was so highly talked about. Uh, or even thinking back to his matches with Diesel, you know, when Diesel first came on the scene and their matches for the Intercontinental Championship. I think about the SummerSlam match in Chicago in 1994, just a time that you wish you could bottle up and keep uh, active and see it every day uh, for the rest of your life in, uh, in live time because it was so much fun to watch. Um, and we get to cover a couple of those things with Scott Hall in this interview. Uh, but we just, like I said, very happy to have him on the airwaves. And if you're in the area and you've never met Scott Hall, head out to Huntington Park, California, to the Wrestling Guy store and get your uh, couple of minutes there with the Outsiders. They're a lot of fun, uh, always great with a quip, always great with a remark. Anything you say back, they've got a great retort for you. Uh, and a couple of times, obviously, you've been able to work alongside Scott Hall or been able to meet Scott Hall. Just always, uh, every time you see that toothpick, 
you know uh, what's up, and you definitely will if you head to the Wrestling Guy store this Sunday, November 3rd, thewrestlingguystore.com for all the signing times and information. And uh, that's enough out of me. Why don't we wrap it up nice? And let's get on over to the bad guy, the WWE Hall of Famer, former Intercontinental Champion, Scott Hall. Time former WWE Intercontinental Champion, of course, a WWE Hall of Famer, a former seven-time WWE Tag Team Champion, as well as a WWE TV Champion and two-time U.S. Champion. He is, of course, one of the greatest of all time, the bad guy, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon. Scott, how is everything going? Welcome to the two-man power trip. Hey, yo. Thanks for having me, man. That was quite an introduction. I didn't know I had that many gimmicks in my career. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and easily one of the greatest of all time. But, of course, we're talking to you today because on Sunday, November 3rd, over in California at the Wrestling Guy Store, the world-famous Wrestling Guy Store, from 2 to 4 p.m., you will be signing autographs and taking pictures. And this is going to be a first-time event for the Wrestling Store Guy in Huntington Park, California, as the Outsiders, Hall and Nash, will make an appearance. What are your thoughts on heading out to California? Well, I always love going to Cali. I mean, I'm going to hang out with one of my best friends in the world. and You know, get to, I mean, at this point in my career, you know, like I'm watching the WWE Network now, right now, and God bless this thing because little, well, I'll be at a signing and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute. You weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye when that match happened. <laughs> And they go, no, no, I saw it on the network. And, I mean, it's just, I love interacting with the fans. I love hanging out with my buddy. There's great restaurants in Cali. So anytime they ask me to come there, they don't have to ask twice. The greatest thing about you in particular, and obviously Kevin as well, is there is always such a long line, and you can kind of attribute that a little bit to the, the WB network, of course, with the younger fans. But am I right on that? You guys always are still so popular, and you always have, like, the longest line whenever I'm at these autograph signings. Well, I mean, don't jinx us, but, yeah, bro, it's it's really <laughs> fla- it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. And, you know, I mean, to, and to me, like, me and Kevin enjoy interacting with the fans. I mean, if you wait in line for a couple of hours to come and tell me how cool I am, 
I got time for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm I'm available. But I mean, right now too, you got to admit you're you know you're in the wrestling industry. Right now is a great time to be a wrestling fan or a wrestler or, or associated with wrestling in any way. I mean, there's wrestling on Monday nights, Tuesday nights, two companies on Wednesday nights, you know, like Friday night. You know, it's just crazy. Wrestling is red hot again worldwide, and I'm just enjoying it. And you mentioned that you're watching WWE Network and stuff. Do you still keep up with current wrestling as far as watching a lot of these shows that we were just talking about? Yeah, I'm watching the Crown Jewel thing now. I really was looking forward to seeing Brock and that Kane Velasquez. They opened the show. And then um, I want to see this Tyson Fury and, uh, you know, what he does with the the big guy. You know, it'll be, it's, I don't know, it's good stuff. You know, they always load these cards up right now. Right now, Cesaro is wrestling the, the Saudi Arabian kids, Samoor or something. But, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, the production value and the money that they're making these days. And, you know, I mean, AEW is blowing up. I mean. Impact Wrestling is going in a new direction. You know, ROH is still hanging in there. I don't know, man. It's a, I wish I was about 40 years younger. It's starting hmm. all over again. Hey, that's uh, very, very true. You would be dominating. So what do you think of what you saw so far as far as Crown Jewel? And obviously, they load up the card with a ton of stars. And Lesnar really uh, beats Velasquez kind of quickly. But what have your thoughts been so far on kind of how they've handled the booking? I think everything is great, and I, I love the way that, you know, I, I study what goes on in all aspects of our industry, not just the what happens in the ring, but I like to watch behind the scenes, everything. And just the way that the WWE has gone about educating the fans in Saudi Arabia. Like, at first, like, they notoriously came late to the show. Like, the show started and nobody was there yet because they're not conditioned to that. And they weren't really responding to the matches, you know, cheering and booing and stuff the way they do customarily in the U.S. But after this is about the third or fourth time over there now, the fans are already getting educated to how to enjoy the show to the maximum, you know, to cheer, to boo, you know, they're having fun with it. And it's just great to see. I mean, to, later tonight, they're going to have the first ever women's match in Saudi Arabia. So you can say what you want. I know the WWE took a lot of heat for continuing to do business with Saudi after the, you know, the one reporter was killed and stuff. But, you know, in their defense, you can't change anything by staying away. So, you know, they don't agree with the guy being assassinated, but they can't change it by sitting in Stanford, Connecticut. So, you know, all they can do is come and show the American way, you know, up close and personal. I don't know. I think it's a good thing. And it is interesting that Lesnar starts off the card instead of kind of main eventing the card, too. Is that a little bit different, a little bit of a, a change? Well, I know no, they did that when, once before. No, when you're around the WWE, that's the way they started. It's going to be a long show. They want to start it off with a bang. Plus, you got to remember, Kane ain't had many matches at all. I think he wrestled once in Mexico. Now he's you know wrestling Brock in this huge show. Put him on early and get it over with. It's better than sitting around in the back for hours worrying Go out there and, and get it over with. You know, like, I don't know. Press, press, Brock is probably already on a plane back to the U.S. by now. <laughs> he, he's definitely, he's done. He's out of there. Kind of a, a good way, right? Sometimes when you're on the card early, it's good to get in and get out. Well, yeah, you get the people when they're fresh. I mean, traditionally, I mean, back in the old NWA days when, like, Flair was the champion, they always stacked the card 
from the you know the the youngest guys to the least you know they stacked the cards so like the semi main event would go on second or last the main event would go on last WWE had a totally different approach they would put Hulk on fourth the main event would go on fourth then they go to intermission and you get the people when they're easier you know they're not all burnout they haven't seen a million things yet you get them when they're fresh then oftentimes. They would announce, they would shoot an angle in that main event match, and during intermission they would announce, "Hey, our tickets on sale for next time we come back," and you get the people really excited, and you send them to the merchandise stands and stuff. I just think the way Vince changed wrestling, he changed it in all aspects. You know, instead of sitting around waiting, and then the second to the best match goes on second to last, and then the very best match of the night goes on last. That's Meanwhile, you got to sit through six or seven matches that are kind of like, eh. You know, it drains the audience. It's not, it's not a good idea. But you don't know that until you've been exposed to the other option. You know, I just think, uh, I don't know. I'm a mark for Vince. <laughs> you are one of the greatest minds, basically, ever in the history of the business. Everyone says that, especially anybody gets to talk to you for even a minute about the business. You know so much. How do you kind of develop such a knowledge because, you know, Bischoff says how smart you are, uh, Shawn Michaels, Nash, Triple H, everyone always says how smart you are to the business. How did that kind of knowledge come to be? Um, I, I, thank you. Um, I don't know, I guess because I was always a big fan and always paid attention. I mean, even before I could work, you know, I had a clue. You know, I knew I was really green. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew that. And I knew what I liked, and I, you know, I paid attention to what worked. I'll never forget one time Arn Anderson told me when I was first starting. He said, um, he said, listen, he said, kid, I don't know if you know how to yet, but you got to listen to the people. And you don't know that. You got to learn that. You're around for a year or two before you ever even understand what hearing the people means. But he goes, all the things you do that get it, that get a reaction. He goes, you keep those. He goes, all the things you do that they don't react to, he goes, you leave that out. He says, pretty soon everything you do gets a reaction. You know, I learned that from Kurt Hennig, too, is like, don't just do stuff because you can. I used to always get on Dallas about that. Dallas would just do moves just because he could. Like, he'd hit you with one move, pick you up, and give you another move instead of just milking the one move. And we used to butt heads about that. I used to tell them no wasted motion, no wasted energy. Like that was always perfect thing. You know, just do as little as you can. You know, I don't know, man. I just have a different theory about it. And as far as DDP, just kind of thinking back and you being such a great mind, they kind of attribute you for getting him over the fact that, you know, they really wanted to push him and he was starting to get over a little bit. But as soon as he gave you the diamond cutter, and as soon as he knocked Nash out of the ring, boom, uh, sky was the limit. He was over for the rest of his career. Yeah, we were trying to get – we tried to do that with him for weeks because, you know, the the NWO was just getting so red hot, and we didn't have anybody to work with. And Dallas was trying so hard to be a heel. I mean, he was chewing gum and smoking a cigar at the same time. (laughs) He had so many gimmicks. He had the hot girl with him. He had the, you know, self-high five. You know, he was doing – he was doing so much, but if you know the guy, he's really like a natural baby face. Like me and Kev, we're kind of natural pricks. I mean, we're natural heels. Dallas is like a natural baby face. He's a nice guy in life. And uh, 
once that came out, you know, and, and one thing about it was because he and Bischoff had a personal relationship were buddies. Bischoff was hesitant to push him because he didn't want it to look like, you know, well, I'm pushing my buddy. And I'm thinking <laughs> who better to push than your buddy, you know, but yeah, I don't know. It ended up working out and Dallas just lives right down the street from me. So everything worked out in the end. Full circle. He, you, you know, helped him get over, and then you know he helps you with with a lot, you know, your personal stuff and and getting you back in shape and stuff. So it's kind of cool to come uh, full circle like that. Yeah, it's been great, man. It's been great. Now, as far as NWO, you said you know they were so hot trying to get over, but the NWO in itself, you especially Nash and obviously Hulk Hogan, and when he turns Hollywood and turns heel, changed the business forever. When you were kind of going through that and that was happening, did you guys know you were changing the business forever? Did you know how hot it was going to be? Well, it didn't take long because we were paying attention. you got to remember, we came from working for Vince. So we came from the shark tank to, like, the, this wading pool, you know. And so we were aware that it was working because guys in the locker room thought we still worked for Vince. I mean, other wrestlers thought we still worked for vets. So we knew that was working. So we just ran with it. We said, yeah, you only get paid by one company? Oh, my God. (laughs) So good. And that was so great. And it changed the business forever. You guys were were so great. But, you know, as we we head towards the wind down, head towards the finish, um, we took a, a trip. Uh, probably back in June or so, we took a long ride, and I had asked you about Dusty Rhodes and, and you know, your history with Dusty. You told me an unbelievably awesome story about your boots and how, you know, Dusty played such a, you know, pivotal role in your career. I just thought that was so cool, and, and so yeah. it was such an awesome story. Can you, would you mind just kind of just reliving that story with me about Dusty and the boots? Well, I mean, when I first uh, started, you know, I hadn't had a match yet or anything, and, and now, you know, Dusty is – you know, in charge of, like, what my costume is going to be, what I'm going to wear. And he has me wearing these knee-high silver wrestling boots. And back then, man, boots are about 250 bucks a pop, and I don't have that kind of money. But Dusty pays for it and everything, and he never asked me about it. He never said a word about it. And, you know, time went by. I, I was in Charlotte then. I left Charlotte. I went to Kansas City. Kind of floundered there. But then I went to the AWA in Minneapolis where I started to get a break, and you know, they put me with Mr. Perfect. They put me with Kurt Hennig, and things were going great. Now I got a little bit of money, and we were doing a joint promotion show in Baltimore. The AWA and the NWA were both running Baltimore. So I got to see Dusty for the first time in a long time. And I got to pull him aside. He hugged me and kissed me on the cheek like, baby, I'm so proud of you. You know, you're doing so good. And I said, hey, Dream, like, I see you may not remember, but, you know, and I I slapped that money in his hand. Shit, I'm getting I'm getting emotional thinking about it. I slapped that money and <laughs> my maids are here. I slapped <laughs> that money in his hand and um it's just really cool moment, you know, like people who help you, it feels good to pay him back and help them and <laughs> we better call him quits, bro. My <laughs> maids are here and I don't want to cut him off. All right, awesome stuff. Scott, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, 2 to 4 p.m. Sunday the 3rd at the Wrestling Store. For the first time ever at Huntington Park, California. Please go to thewrestlingstore.com for all further information. Of course, one last time, that is the Wrestling Guy Store. Check it out. Check out the outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Thanks for having me. Come see me and Kevin at the Wrestling Guy Store. 
This podcast was a presentation of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire.